Welcome to another In The Money Players podcast. This is the Friday, April 29th show. Nick Tamaro here deputizing for Peter Thomas Fornital, who is off to parts unknown at the moment. He'll be back in the Brooklyn bunker very, very soon. And then I believe he'll be at Churchill Downs next week for the Kentucky Derby. We are one week out of the Kentucky Derby. We're going to have some content on that available on our YouTube page. And right here, we're going to focus on the action on opening weekends at both Churchill and Belmont, as well as the Golden Hour Pick 4 as racing in Southern California returns. Glad to have all of you on board. Welcome to the In The Money Players podcast, April 29th, 2022 edition. I am deputizing for Peter Thomas Fornital, who is in parts unknown at this point. He will be back in the United States in advance of next week's Kentucky Derby, but not before this weekend of racing, which includes the first Saturday card of the Belmont meet. It also includes the opening night card at Churchill Downs and a really good golden hour pick four. And we're going to take a look at all three of those. We're going to get started looking at the Churchill Downs opening night card, specifically that late pick five with my friend, Scott Shapiro. Scott, great having you. Great being back with you, Nick, as always. And uh, yeah, it's a big, uh, big, Start obviously to the uh, to the weekend, the long week at Churchill Downs with the Kentucky Derby next Saturday. Ten race card at Churchill. The start or the first time we'll see this newly renovated turf course. A lot of money spent on it. I've seen it in the flesh, as we like to say uh, in horse racing. Looks great. We'll see how it plays. Heard it might be a little fast, so uh, we'll take that into account or we'll try to. But uh, one of those two uh, first two races in, on the turf is included in this late pick five. We're going to take a look at. Very exciting. In fact, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it plays out and hopefully we'll get some good weather. Fingers crossed. Looks like the long range forecast is OK at this point. Uh, the pick five sequence that you alluded to is begins in race number six at a mile and a quarter on the dirt. So they will go the same trip that the Kentucky Derby field will seven days later. And this maiden special weight event on paper to me, Scott, looked like the one to beat is five prizes, but it did feel like there were some interesting alternatives. I thought five prizes might be a chance, at least in a uh, horizontal setting, to take a chance against. I mean, he's been beaten at odds of two to one in four straight starts. I know you follow the uh, Southern California, or sorry, the, the Florida, Southern Florida circuit a lot more than I did uh, this winter, but somewhat underwhelming efforts. Definitely fits in this spot. You know, these these mile and a quarter maiden special weight races are so odd. It's a lot of times, a lot of like, trainers thinking, oh, my horses aren't that fast. Let's try going further with a non-winner. So they can be a little bit goofy from the times I've seen them. We don't get that many of them at Churchill, but we always get them uh, this time of year before the Kentucky Derby. I thought Miss Yearwood was the was the one to beat in here. Real big effort moving forward off the bench for Ian Wilkes, who has not had a great year and not great run of it. But the winner of the race that this one comes out of on April 10th, distinctly possible, was even money, I believe, was a Chad Brown runner that was second in the Alcibiades when we last saw her taking on winners as a maiden. And I thought Miss Yearwood gave her all she could handle in the lane, and the pedigree suggests two turns. And then I also thought Runaway Wife was the other one I was going to use in here. Kind of a big ask off of three one-turn races. But uh, that April 13th uh, card uh, on at Keeneland was a day where speed and inside was the place to be. This horse was well off the pace and kind of finished well to get fourth that day with three horses that were prominently placed. So if she does like the, the two turn or sorry, the mile and a quarter, uh, two turns, yes, but more so the mile and a quarter, I think she's capable of uh, maybe springing an upset here at six to one on the line. 
Yeah, in total agreement. I thought Miss Yearwood would really benefit from the added ground. And I like the fact that it looks like she took a pretty appreciable step forward in her first start uh, off the layoff. Not her first start at three, but her first start off a little bit of a break for Ian Wilkes. So I'm excited to see if she takes another step forward here. More maidens in race seven, leg number two of this late pick five. These are of the $30,000 maiden claiming variety at a mile and a 16th long on the dirt. Uh, who's it going to be here, my friend? Well, I think there's a, a couple of races where it's hard to get overly creative in, and this is not one of them. So I'm going to, you know, open things up a little bit here and hope to catch a price in the pick five. I ended up landing on a, on a big, long shot, very lukewarm top selection, but that's number 11, hold the line, a second-time starter, drop it in class for Dane Kabisky. This horse broke okay and ran an even effort, gone one turn over the all-weather surface at Turfway Park. It wasn't necessarily anything I saw in that race from this horse that made me land on him, but the winner is a nice horse that came back to win and keeping the edge, and sometimes these Turfway Park horses can get overlooked, and they usually have quite a bit of fitness coming out of those races there. So I did land on hold the line, but I'm going to go six or seven deep. I'm not going to use nine to two shot my favorite uncle. I'm probably going to fade three to one favorite band Amir, unless you give me a good reason to like this one moving from the Chad Brown barn to the Rudolph for barn and adding blinkers. But I think the pace could be relatively honest or some horses stretching out. And I think we could get a little bit of a collapse. Yeah, I, I have no, I am not twisting your arm to use Bandemir at all. These are horses that I, I like to stay away from in general. Um, you know, Chad Brown is not necessarily looking for more and more turf horses. He would like to give his horses an opportunity on dirt. And when he's not even willing to give them a try, he's also a trainer who almost exclusively trains his domestic bred horses on dirt. So the fact that this guy was not even deserving of a try on dirt, and don't get me wrong, he ran fine in his first turf race. He really didn't run that poorly in the race on the synthetic either. Um, the fact that Rudy Brissett is going right into the maiden the maiden claiming ranks, I think tells you pretty much all you need to know. And this horse could win, but this is the kind I think that that you're supposed to let beat you. Um, I thought Big Paper was potentially a little interesting. Nacho Correa is kind of a, a long shot maven, and the blinkers are going on here. Jimmy Graham is generally pretty aggressive. I thought this horse could get a forwardly placed trip. And there is, I think there's a decent amount of speed, I, I will say, as you kind of alluded to. I don't know who that might set up better than others. But yeah, it felt to me like one where you wanted to take a pretty critical stance of the favorite. We're going to see that turf course in play in race number eight at five and a half furlongs on the Matt Wynn turf course. This is a bulky field and looks like one that's pretty competitive. I will say, Scott, that I would have bet virtually anything after her North American debut that Mamba Wamba was going to be a stakes winner in no time. I know she got a big pace to run at that day, but she was shot out of a cannon in upper stretch. And her two races since then have been pretty dull. However, I think her last race might be better than it looks on paper. I agree. It was better than looks. Uh, both the two in front of her, Illegal Smile and Bay Storm, who's in this race and is the 9-5 to five favorite, were much more prominently placed. This was the best horse coming from off the pace. Um, gets an inside post, should be able to save ground most of the way under a patient rider and Julian Le Peru. I gave her a, uh, a big shot in here. Definitely a horse I'm going to utilize, probably more as a B than an A. I do think the favorite in here, Bay Storm, is the clear one to beat coming off the runner-up effort in the same race that we just uh, mentioned with uh, Mamba Wamba. I just think she's going to get an absolutely perfect trip. Second start of the four-year-old campaign has run some really strong races. I know on Therographs really is a little bit of a standout in terms of figures. It has run kind of the highest figure in the field multiple times. It's probably those two for me with maybe uh, number six Sterling Miss is a bit of a wild card, not having been on the turf in a while. This horse was entered in a uh, $50,000 claimer at Keeneland and a spot I thought 
she was a standout in and they scratched her. They ended up uh, rolling with their, the other entry, made dance rhythms. It was a coupled entry for the Foley's that day. Now they put her in for 62.5 and put her on the turf. A little bit of a positive sign there. And Mitchell Merrill, who often rides for uh, Chris Hartman, who uh, has Clara Peters in here. Um, the fact that Merle opts to ride for Sterling Miss, I found a little bit interesting considering how much him and Hartman do business and do business successfully in Kentucky. Interesting angle there. Yeah, I will say that Baystorm probably got the better of it pace-wise in that common race among she and Mamba Wamba. Um, that was a slower slower pace, I think, to the half-mile split. We'll see if maybe Mamba Wamba can get back to that good effort at uh, Gulfstream and perhaps the the quick nature of the new turf course that we're talking right. about seeing it looks like it's, it's cut relatively short. It might play a little bit more like a, a, you know, South Floridian type of turf course. We will find out in roughly 24 hours. The featured event on the card is the Roxalana overnight, $160,000, a field five going six furlongs. And this ended up being just a field of five, but I think you've got a little bit of contention if you have any negative opinion against Caribbean Caper. Caribbean Caper, of course, is five for five. She's coming off a lengthy layoff. Do you trust her, or are you going to be a little little, little critical? I just, you know, it's hard to, to knock her, but it's so weird the way I'll stall a guy that's usually very willing to take chances and run his best horses against the best horses has managed this filly. She's done absolutely nothing wrong, yet he refuses to give her a shot against serious competition i know she won the grade three dogwood but she was two to five that was a really lackluster field in my estimation and this is by far the best field she's ever faced her success has mostly come at the slightly elongated springs distance sprint distances six and a half seven furlongs this is six furlongs off the bench so i'm not overly against her but if she's going to be four to five and not eight to five like the morning line suggests i think that's a little short i think baroness is a really talented mare that's shown an affinity for the Churchill down surface. I'm not sure if it was just a plan or, you know, not a plan, but I'm not sure exactly what happened. She won the shine again, very impressively running down lone speed up favored Aunt Kate in that race. And then we haven't seen her since. I don't know what kind of plan or what the thought was from Cherie DeVoe, if there was a major issue there, but I really like the talent this Philly possesses. And I think she's got a, a very significant chance to spring a minor upset. Yeah. I thought club car was worthy of consideration too. I don't, Am I crazy in thinking the club card might be able to get clear of this field? She got involved in a really, really hot pace last time out. Maybe Lannery won't be as aggressive, but um, that was a running line to me that I think the quality of her performance kind of belies the running line. I think she has a, uh, a significant chance as well. I mean, she's run well at Churchill. It's interesting. I mean, she was in maybe the best form of her career in those last two races, the TCA and the Dream Supreme, when she almost beat Bless the One. I know that's a $300,000 non-green stakes event, but uh, Bell's the I said Bless the One. Bell's the One. Um, we all knew what you <laughs> but obviously Bell's the one very talented, uh, a great grade one caliber Philly. And she really gave her a good run for her money that day. So I don't know if it was the mud and then you have the synthetic effort. Maybe she's, you know, soured up a little bit at six years old, but if she gets back to some of her best efforts, she definitely can beat this group. So I wouldn't be against the idea of at least on one ticket, using the three and four and leaving out Caribbean caper and maybe uh, approaching it that way. Cause Caribbean caper probably gonna be a pretty popular single on some tickets. Yeah, I like that, like that thought quite a bit. And I kind of laughed when I, I, I sort of laughed and wanted to cry at the same time when I saw the Madison 
Madison pace line come back and uh, everybody thought going into that race, well, this track is so biased. It's so hard to make up ground and it completely fell apart, which is always how it goes. More maidens to close out the sequence in race number 10, $10,000 maiden claimers at seven furlongs on the dirt. And as we saw pretty frequently at Keeneland, we've got a lot of horses moving over from synthetics. We've got some coming from turf and there is not a great deal of good dirt form in here, but it's a very competitive and fun group. It is. And, you know, I'm probably going to open it up a little bit. But saying that, I ended up leaning on two of the favorites as my top two selections when all was said and done. I landed. I mean, Ismian, to me, didn't run all that well on April 20th. But getting caught between rivals at this sort of level and never kind of getting in the clear or in the open is not the trip you want. And now the blinkers go on. Fausto Gutierrez drops this uh, son of violence uh, down in class once again, and uh, Luis Saez jumps aboard. So I think uh, this one will probably be a little bit more into the race on the drop in class. Norm Cassie, our friend, uh, has a colt that I think he uh, has given a big look here, although visually I, I was underwhelmed by both efforts. Uh, but cutting back in distance, moving from turf to dirt, um, and dropping in class, and getting Tyler Gaffleone all a recipe for a move forward in the third career start after two starts gone two turns at fairgrounds. I think they're the likeliest winners, but there are a plethora of other horses that would at least be worth using as bees uh, if you're playing uh, multiple tickets. One of those races where hopefully you get alive and you hold your breath for 20 minutes before the uh, the actual race runs, especially if you can get some of these upsets that we alluded to along the way. Interesting and fun sequence, Scott. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Got a look at the Kentucky Derby as well. That'll be on our YouTube page. And of course, this Churchill Downs look for opening night. We're going to be looking for you even more in the lead up to the Derby. Good luck, my friend. Thanks, Nick. Great chatting as always. And uh, best of luck to you in the coming days and over the next week. I appreciate it. You can catch Scott Shapiro on Twitter, ScottChap34, also on the Morning Work Show at Churchill Downs and on the Churchill Downs broadcast starting tomorrow night on opening night. Thanks again to Scott. And we will now move on to our next guest. Back with our second guest on this edition of the In The Money Players podcast. Joining me, Naira Oddsmaker, DRF Handicapper, and Workout Maven, as I'm going to call him, Workout <laughs> Report Specialist. David Aragona, who is here to talk about the first Saturday card of the Belmont meet. David, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Do my best with the workouts. I'm definitely not a specialist, but I try to watch yeah. as much as I can and learn as much as I can. And uh, there's a lot of that work to be done on this uh, late pick five sequence at Belmont. You can take a look at our, uh, David and I just finished taping a little uh, YouTube segment for, on the In The Money Media YouTube page about the Kentucky Derby. I'll have with all, those with all of the guests. And so, yeah, let's not, uh, let's not fool around anymore and dig into this pick five sequence, which begins in race number six. A couple of seven furlong turf races in this sequence, which these are some of my, my favorite races at Belmont a year in and year out. This maiden race to me looked awfully competitive. Where did you think we'd get this started? I would say among the horses with prior turf experience, um, they're not the most overwhelming bunch. Uh, I think they're, it, it's kind of a subpar maiden special aid event overall. Uh, so you do have to pay attention to some of the first time starters in here. I do think the number two gather the facts for Chad Brown and Barvich Stables is going to be pretty tough in this race. I've watched a lot of her recent workouts. You can find almost all of them on XBTV. And uh, I've been impressed. Um, she's Most of her turf workouts are with another unraced horse and seems like she's held a row in her most recent gate workout. She was much the best over her workmate and looks like she's uh, pretty quick. So uh, I, I would definitely use her. Of those with experience, I'm most interested in the number six, Snow Loves a Fight. Uh, just got a really strange trip and ride last time, wrangled to the back of the pack, had trouble when she was starting to launch her rally at the quarter pole. I just feel like it's a better race than it appears 
years. The problem is that was not the strongest maiden event at Aqueduct. So she's going to have to take a step forward. But uh, of those with experience, she'd be the one that I'm most interested in. Yeah, it's always kind of the catch-22 of the early part of the Belmont meet is you have these horses that have run at Aqueduct on the turf recently, and it's great for them to have a little bit of recency, but those races are generally just a much lower caliber than what you end up facing when you get some of the Floridians back after a winter in uh, in, in warmer climates. Uh, that's the opening leg of the sequence. Let's go on to race number seven at a mile and a 16th on the main track. Weather is expected to be good. This looks like kind of a fun showdown. Maybe I'm I'm stretching it by calling it a showdown between Southern District and Waxman, Southern District's last race is one that we all have to kind of make a decision about because it was so good, but it was also to me so much better than anything he had ever done that I wonder if it might hold up to scrutiny. What I'll say about that is that Southern District's dirt races two and three back, his race two back, and then that Milo Nath race from Saratoga are both not as bad as they seem. I didn't think he got ideal trips in either of those races, and I think the slightly shorter trip worked for him. So I feel like maybe the efforts are closer than they seem, and that last race didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, but it was a huge speed figure improvement. If he runs it back, he's going to be pretty tough. Chad Brown actually has great numbers off wins with older horses on the dirt, especially in New York. Uh, so I'm not going to be shocked if he does well it just feels like with his form being totally exposed now he's not going to be anywhere near that seven to two he was last time he's probably going to be you know close to even money in this race potentially we'll see how they bet the other horses and uh you know you were referring to a rivalry i guess waxman is be the other horse and i don't know I, I don't know what to do with waxman he's a really tricky horse to ride it looks like a difficult horse to ride you have to be pretty fit to get on his back because he takes a lot of scrubbing to get there uh i did not like his last race at all it felt like when they initially added the blinkers it had gotten him back in the bridle he had stopped that unprofessionalism where he just kind of disengages and drops out of the race but that tendency reared its ugly head last time even with the blinkers and hmm. uh, these todd pletcher horses that look like they're works in progress and start number six i feel like it's always a bad sign so i'm i'm viewing southern district as trending in the upward direction and waxman is trending in the downward direction i do think there's one other horse in this race that's worth using uh and that would be the number five tiergen who i think for him getting on fast tracks has really become key he handled wet tracks when he was a younger horse but recently it just seems like he likes the fast going i think the one turn is the right configuration for him and to me he's the big upset threat in this race yeah this has been the site of some of his best efforts to date anyway uh, at belmont and i agree i think returning <clears throat> to big sandy will help a great deal waxman i think what and, and this is purely anecdotal i have no data to back it up but horses like that that you're saying that looked like they were fixing their problems when they start to go the wrong direction often it's it's the start of a real downward spiral so it is a it's a big race for waxman and I mean, the first couple of times this horse ran, it was like, I, he has no idea what he's doing. And, yeah. um, and then, yeah, again, as you said, it looked like he had it figured out only to take a pretty big step back last time out, which was disappointing. The eighth race is a mile and a 16th uh, allowance event for New York Reds, uh, one other than on the turf. And this is at a mile and a 16th on the inner. So, of course, you have the concern of, about losing ground around the first turn. And the morning line favorite is drawn on the far outside. Yeah, the number 10, Umbria, he makes a lot of sense in this race. I, I guess it's a good sign that he's run as well as he has on dirt recently because it does feel like he's a little bit better of a turf horse. So switching back to his preferred surface, if he takes the kind of improvement that you expect, he'll be tough to beat in this race. But like you said, he's got that outside post. His form is completely exposed, so he's going to be a short price in here. Uh, I was just trying to find some 
alternative to Umbria, even though I do think he could win this race. And the best I could come up with was the number six, Mr. Breadwinner, who is trying the turf for the first time. I'll admit it's not an overwhelming turf pedigree. The tonalists are just okay on the turf and the dam has not been a great producer, uh, but it is a Giants Causeway dam. And just watching this horse's last race, uh, I got a little bit of a turfy vibe from him. Uh, that was over a muddy sealed track. He showed much improved speed that day with the blinkers going on. And I never dislike having the speed out of this weird inner mile and a 16th configuration on the turf. Sometimes the paces don't wind up to be as fast as they might look on paper. So I'm hoping that Kendrick Carmouche can get out to the front on Mr. Breadwinner and maybe wire the field if he likes the turf. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think speed at this trip is very, very dangerous. The other thing is that the horses that really look like the right alternatives in, in terms of maybe some proven turf horses, they don't inspire a great deal of confidence. And, and I mean, I'm speaking of, Lord Flincher, who, of course, was third yeah. behind Grape Nuts Warrior and kind of a, a softer than par uh, one other than. And he's kind of a, a kind of a refuser in a way. His only win came against an absolutely horrific field last June. So I wanted I was a little more critical of him and, and Rally Squirrel, I guess, is a horse that's going to take some money. I thought that he did what he was supposed to do two starts back, but it's still a long way from where he needs to be to win this race. Did you feel similarly? Yeah, Rally Squirrel looks more interesting at first glance than he does when you really dig into his form because that Gulfstream field that he beat two back was not the strongest. And frankly, his races in New York last year were just, just not of this caliber. Even his maiden victory was against a really weak field. Maybe he's improved a lot, but he was not for me in this race. Yeah, I agree. I've had a little luck with Sandro the Great on the dirt. One, the one time you really could have a little luck with him. And he is a better turf horse. I'm not going to be surprised if he runs a decent race, but he's probably more of a placing chance than anything else. Having the inside post, I think, is ideal uh, for him. That leads us to the elusive quality, which is another really good addition of this race that's been outstanding over the years, including last year when it was won in uh, kind of a driving finish by Casa Creed, who came right back to win the Jiper and most recently was seen making a couple of starts in the Middle East. Proven Strategies was in that field. So is Value Proposition. They are both back in here. They are probably, Value Proposition is probably going to be the favorite. Um, where did you land here, David? I'm not way against Value Proposition. He just, to me, is a horse that always takes too much money. Uh, he yeah. can obviously win this race. He's got the speed figure. He's got the right running style. He just... He's not completely reliable for me to work out the right trip. He's kind of a hard horse to ride at times. And, you know, I made him three to one on the line. I'm not going to be shocked when this horse is two to one or nine to five, because these are just connections that take a lot of money. And it's a good feel. I don't think he really deserves to be that short. So I wanted to find alternatives to him. I decided not to go for the more logical ones, like the Snapper Sinclairs and the Therapists. I just feel like both of them might not be in great form right now. Snapper Sinclair, I know that he's been on other surfaces recently, but... He's been on surfaces that he used to handle. He's just coming off poor races and therapist. To me, I know a lot of people think seven furlongs turning back is the key for him. I just feel like he's lost a step. He used to be a lot more effective in these mile and a 16th mile races than he's been recently. So I wanted to go in some different directions. Uh, I made the number one penalty my top pick. I know that he's a little light on speed figures, but he's a horse that I really do think benefits from the turn back to seven furlongs. Uh, if you just isolate his two recent seven furlong races at Belmont, I think they're the two best races that he's run in the past couple of years. And, uh, 
he's going to need some pace to close into. We'll see if it develops. I'm not really sure how that's going to play out in this race, but I don't want to worry about it too much because he's probably going to be in the eight to 10 to one range. And that's good enough for me because I can make some mild excuses for his last couple races. So I like him. And I'm also very interested in kind of the weird horse in the race, the number nine Milton, the monster who is in great form right now. And they're trying the turf for the first time. I've kind of, you know, just been, mildly following this horse's career at parks over the past couple seasons and hoping they would run him on the turf at some point. They entered him in a race at Aqueduct on the turf like two years ago and scratched him. And ever since then, I've been waiting for them to run him back on the turf. And I kind of like that they're doing it in such a tough spot because it means he's going to be a price, even though he's in good form. He's by Jack Milton. If you look up Jack Milton's stats in Formulator, every single one of his progeny is a turf horse, basically except Milton the Monster. So I'm interested to see what he does in this race. Yeah, I, I agree. I, at first glance, I thought, well, maybe they're trying to see if the race could come off the turf, but um, we'll find out if he's in there, then obviously that was not the intention. And he is in very good form and speed is still dangerous at this trip. I don't, I don't know if it's a, a an edge by, of any type, but um, being forwardly placed, of course, is an advantage going pretty much any distance on any surface. And there's not a lot of speed in this field. So that will, that will help. I agree with you on penalty penalty versus therapist is kind of an interesting conversation because they're both cutting back and, and, They've both been effective at seven furlongs, but penalty to me looks a little bit more effective at seven furlongs and therapist looks like he's probably a horse, as you said, that maybe has, has lost a step. I tried him once last year uh, in the Belmont turf sprint, understanding that there wasn't a lot of speed in there and he ended up getting pretty, pretty badly paced compromised, but uh, he's a horse that I've just never really had a good, never really had a good line on, never really I've never really liked all that much, to be honest. And it annoyed me very much when he won that Artie Schiller back in November of 2020, um, when I thought it was just impossible for him to win a two-turn mile race. This is his trip. It's a jockey change to Joel Rosario, who's been on board in the past. We'll see. But again, no great shakes at what should be a pretty uh, relatively short price relative to his chances in the four or five to one range. The nightcap is a New York bred maiden special weight event at six and a half furlongs. And uh, the, these are better races than they've ever been before. And I think this one is a good example of that. The very slight morning line favorite is the Chad Brown trainee basis risk, who is by classic empire has a good, good pedigree there. And uh, a couple of others, I mean, among the experienced sources, I guess the, the most fancied will be, I don't know, sinful dancer to an extent. I, I was trying to see. I think Gouster on the outside, Gouster. maybe. Yeah, Ouster as well, who comes out of a race that yielded subsequent stake winner Kaz Mike. Yeah, this is a morning line where, frankly, I was just guessing. I have no idea if basis risk the Klarovich first or can run at all, but it races the four, where... five, six, eight, eight, ten kind of showed us. Yeah, <laughs> these are top, race yeah. where it looks pretty competitive. They often default yeah. to Chad Brown, so we'll see about that. Um, there are uh, a couple horses that I was most interested in here. One of them is the number five majority partner who is coming out of an open maiden race at Gulfstream Park and arguably one of the toughest open maiden races that was run at Gulfstream this entire winter. Uh, that's a race where four horses have come back to win, all with improved speed figures. The winner, Unaki, came back at Keenan last week and just barely lost in a tougher allowance race and feels like it's a pretty legitimate field. He was way back that day, but looked a little green. It was a sloppy track. He was in the bridle early and then just got discouraged between horses. He had worked well into that race despite going off at 60 to 1. He, if you look up the DRF clock reports from that day, there were positive workout reports for this horse. He's worked well out of the race. So I think he's interesting and could fly under the radar here. And the other horse among the firsters that I'm most interested in is the number eight, two for charging. Horia Abreu just has fantastic stats with firsters in general. And this one, a couple of the workouts do match good horses in the Abreu barn. Um, the work four back matches runaway rumor 
a turf stakes horse that worked three back matches agility, a stakes place three year old New York bred. So um, I'm not going to be surprised if two for charging can run. I'm not I'm not against a horse like Ouster. Uh, it's just Mark Hennig does not have great stats with second time starters. It feels like this is a tougher field than he met first time out, though. Like you said, Kaz Mike did come back and do some nice things. A horse like Tap into Bank could improve as well for Brad Cox. He faced a good field on debut. There are a lot of ways to go, but I wanted to try to narrow it down a little bit. Yeah, it feels there's quite a bit more depth in here than there was in in Ouster's debut. Um, undoubtedly, two for charging brings in one of the one of the best horse names that I've seen, at least among dams, was uh, to the moon Alice for of, of Ralph Cramden fame for two for charging. A fun race to to kick things to close things out, I should say, on this ten race card uh, where we do have some competitive New York bred races among them and that really good stakes race. David, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to have you back soon. Yeah, sounds good. Looking forward to the Saturday card. Thanks for having me on. You can catch David again on Twitter at Horse to Watch, also on DRF and on the Timeform US Pacecast, which is one of the more interesting listens on a weekly basis. David, thanks again. Back with the final guest on today's program of the HHH Racing Podcast, recent TVG interviewee, Howard Kravitz. How are you doing, Howard? I'm still recovering from a very long but very fun, uh, you know, life-fulfilling uh, dream weekend at Keeneland uh, being on TVG with Todd Schroff. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And you know what I'm going to tell you, and this might not necessarily rank, rank up there with being on TVG with Todd Schroff, but I believe I've hosted the In The Money Players podcast five times and I've had you on four of them. Wow. So, you know, you're, which means you're reliable, right? Well, I know. The, the, honor is clearly, the honor is clearly mine, not yours. I mean, well, just, it, uh, it's a, pl- a pleasure to be back on the uh, show. Always enjoy time uh, being with you. The feeling is mutual. I, I, I know you're going to be prepared, and that's a, always an easy thing. And this has actually been a great show. I had Scott Shapiro on to talk about Churchill and David Aragona to talk about Belmont. It's a fun weekend. And, you know, I, I remember a friend of mine texted me five or six years ago on the Saturday before the Derby, and he said, so are you the kind of guy that plays this day too? And 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 I said, yeah, I, I think I, I said something like, is the Pope Catholic? But um, it was very exactly. clear that, yes, I mean, these are this is a fun weekend no matter what. We're going to take a look at the Golden Hour Pick 4, which is something that you and I have discussed in the past. And uh, Howard, I, I will admit, I had no idea Santa Anita had 12 races on Saturday until I, I pulled up the PPs last night. And it's actually a very good card, a number of stakes races, prep races for some of the uh, the big ones that they have coming up on Memorial Day. And the first leg of the Golden Hour Pick 4 is the Charlie Whittingham at a mile and a quarter on the turf where Delmar Derby, or I should say Hollywood Derby winner, Beyond Brilliant is likely to be a, I wouldn't call him a pretty solid favorite. He's going to be the favorite. I thought this was a horse worth betting against. Did you feel similarly? Yeah, I really did. By the way, kudos to the racing secretaries at San Nita who knew, you know, the week before the Derby, there wouldn't be a lot of big stake races and they plan a big day for this weekend. So I think excellent job. Not only that, of the four stake races, Nick, two of them do not have big fields and they are outside of the late pick five, you yeah. know, and, and the golden hour pick four. So good on them for that. I'm going Dicey Mochara on top at four to one. You know, I think the cutback is going to work real well for this four-year-old gelding. Ran extremely well, just losing to acclimate going a mile and a half in the San Luis Ray. I think it was just a bit too far. Uh, and I think he's going to set a great trip. He was a little bit rank early. They were going really slow. Drayden now has a little better feel for this horse. I think Dicey Mochar is very interesting. Uh, Beyond Brilliant will be the favorite. I mean, Nick, is there any guarantee this horse gets the mile and a quarter? Uh, he ran lights out last time 
and the Frankie Kilro mile. And thankfully, my buddy Count again came over the top because I needed him in the ultimate betting challenge that led to my biggest score ever. Uh, anyway, that being said, uh, he also, I think this is important, Nick. I'm not a weight guy. I don't know how you feel. Brian Brilliant is carrying 126. Everyone else is carrying 122. When you go a mile and a quarter, four pounds, can that make a difference between a half length victory and defeat? I absolutely think so. And not only that, I think the six master of Foxhounds, who's a nice horse, should be able to keep the pace honest with Beyond Brilliant. So I'm going with Dicey Mochara to pull off the slight upset, just getting a perfect trip off of Beyond Brilliant and coming over the top late. Yeah, I agree. I, I picked Dicey Mochara as well in my work for Twin Spires, and, and I, I – the only concern I had was that Master of Foxhounds did show a significantly increased amount of speed last time out. I wondered if they might revert to some of the more patient tactics, and that might put Beyond Brilliant on a solo lead. I still don't love his chances in that scenario either. I don't. I think the distance limitations could factor in, um, but I, I do. I will admit I've always feared Victor Espinosa loose on a front runner in uh, in a two-turn race but still i, I like dicey mochara i think this but the uh setup is perfect going from the mile and a half back to the mile and a quarter i think he'll pack a very potent punch late that is in the first leg of the golden hour pick four we then head up north for a stake event at golden gate going five furlongs on the turf they've got some big turf races on this program tomorrow including that san francisco mile where did you land here howard I thought this was a very difficult race. In fact, I just want to say I thought this was a very difficult sequence, perhaps outside yeah. of the aforementioned race that we talked about. The last three races of this golden hour pick four are very, very difficult. This is a complete cluster, five furlongs. I'm not a big fan of turf sprints. I'll just say that flat out. There's two horses coming off big layoffs that I think you have to take a look at. The number four, uh, never for money uh, for uh, Andy Mathis, and the number nine, Rakasa for D'Amato. So you have to decide what you want to do with those two because I think they both have a shot. Uh, I looked up the stats on, on Andy Mathis. He's 20 on the four, never for money, who I like in this spot, by the way. Maldonado's coming in for the mount. Uh, Mathis is 22% off six-plus-month layoff last five years. So I'm not – I don't mind the layoff at all. What I do like about this four is she's only a five-year-old. I think there's still some upside there. And she can close. I mean, there is so much speed in this race, Nick. Now that I say that, as you know, someone will wire the field. We all know that that happens when there's eight speed horses in the race. But Never For Money looks like she's tactical and can close. I'm hoping that Mathis has got this horse ready off the layoff, and I think I'll get a, an honest price. Uh, my second choice would be the number eight, uh, Revelation, who's a really cool horse because you don't see – closing sprinters one win consistently at golden gate i'm just not so sure that the source is best on turf but you know she's in fantastic form i think she obviously has a big shot and then the number nine rakasa uh with jessica pfeiffer who is very capable but you know she's better uh this horse shows speed and there's a lot of speed in this field uh but damato's also good pretty good off the layoff 15 percent uh six plus months or more last five years. So I'm going four, eight, nine on the A line. And as backups on the C line, I would use six, seven, and 10. Yeah, I thought, I, I felt similarly. In fact, I liked the layoff 
Um, I, I should say I wasn't as concerned with the layoff with Never for Money based on how well she ran off the layoff right here at Golden Gate last year. And really, as you mentioned, it, it could be a very similar circumstance to what she encounters this time around as well. That's the second leg of the Golden Hour pick for the third leg. We go back down to Santa Anita and we go down the hill, in fact, in what is a really, really interesting and competitive race where I thought you could end up going a number of different directions. Did you feel the same way? I do. And Nick, I put out a, uh, if I just plug, I put out a race day blog on my, that every Saturday, it's very inexpensive. I highly recommend people check it out on my YouTube channel. This race has my price play of the entire uh, day at San Nita. And that's the number three indulge for Richard Mandela and uh, JJ Hernandez. The source is 10 to one morning line. I highly recommend Nick, everyone take a look at the last race for indulge. It was a maiden $150,000 claimer that uh, this four-year-old gelding won. But he did it really well. He, he broke well, then he took back, then he rushed up in between and out-dueled two others to win by a head. Now, it was only five and a half furlongs, and you know the, the, the speed figure is a little bit slower than some others, but I love the way he did it. I, I think he's going to stretch out just fine. There's not a lot of speed in the race. And, Nick, there were two horses, the third and fourth place finisher in that race were next out winners with a 95 and an 86. So I think, excuse me, a 94 and an 86. I think this horse fits. He's got to get the distance. But if he can just sit off the speed or maybe be very aggressive with Hernandez, I think he's absolutely fascinating. Many of the others in here, Nick, or the better ones are closer. So perhaps he can get the jump. I'm very interested in Dulge to beat the most likely favorite and possible winner, Motorious for D'Amato and Van Dyke, who's three to one and ran well last time against Cote Epoxy. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually liked, uh, I, I thought Indulge was dangerous based on the pace. Uh, Cantharo is also a very good turf sire, uh, specifically with turf sprinters. So a lot, a lot of angles there. Um, I thought Clayton Delaney on the inside was a little interesting. He had a difficult trip when we last saw him last fall at Del Mar, now back off the layoff. He just kind of has down the hill written all over him, right? I mean, he's a, a layback, one-run type. I think these horses are always effective. The rail is obviously not the most ideal draw going down the hill, but he seemed like a horse that made a lot of sense to me. The nightcap in this sequence, well, it's not the nightcap, I should say, the sequence cap in the sequence, the fourth leg of the Golden Hour pick four is going to come at Golden Gate. It's at a mile on the tapita surface for optional claimers, and uh, this is a tricky one to close it out. Yeah, by the way, Clayton Delaney is also trained by D'Amato, who trains the seven. So, you know, the other the other one, right, is the dangerous one. Um, another tough, tough race to uh, to close out this pick four. I'm going one nine two. I like wine and whiskey. I mean, how can you not go with Jonathan Wong off the claim? I mean, he's absolutely ridiculous off the claim. And although the source seemed to be tailing off a little bit and is in for the tag, and this is an optional tag, so I'm not always a big fan of that, but he's passed his conditions in terms of the number of wins, so he has to be in for the tag. I think, you know, the jockey knows him well. Uh, Wong is obviously great, uh, you know, off the claim. The horse fits. The pace situation is a bit murky, but I think, you know, he'll work out a trip at the rail. The horse that I'm a bit interested at a price, Nick, and again, because of the pace situation, is the number nine, draw the foul. And every time I see that, when I saw that name, I immediately went to Fletch, one of my favorite movies of all time, because Chevy Chase, uh, you know, sort of bumps his lawyer in, in, in that movie in his apartment. He says he draws the foul. It's just one of my favorite. If you know Fletch, 
fans of Fletch know what I'm talking about. Uh, this horse has speed, and there's not a lot of early speed in this race. He's by Giants Causeway out of an unbridled song. Mare, draw the foul is 10 to 1. If he can get loose and or get the distance, I think draw the foul. The 9 is interesting in this race. And then I'd use the 2 from the inside bottle of smoke, who's very consistent, should get a nice inside trip. I'm going 192, but there are three or four others I could easily use in this race. Yeah, I could see that very much. I thought wine and whiskey was dangerous on the off the claim. Of course, as you mentioned with Jonathan Wong, the inside post, I think no issue at all. And this horse's best synthetic races, I think definitely could be construed as a little bit better than what a lot of the horses in here have put forth. So, Howard, it's a it's a fun look at the Golden Hour Pick 4 sequence. We talked about this a couple of months ago. I think and both admitted that we didn't really play it very much. I've been more interested in it lately, and it is a lot of fun. Uh, this one you think you might take a little swing at? Uh, no question, because there's favorites I don't like. I have some sneaky opinions, whether I'll be right or not, who knows. But I'm definitely taking a swing at this. I got to pad that you know pocketbook for uh, next week, because I think there's a few big races happening next week at Churchill. More than a few without question. And you can see some info on those on the HHH Racing Podcast with our friend Howard Kravitz. And, of course, right here on In the Money Media. Howard, thanks so much for joining me, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Nick. Good luck to everyone next week. Big thanks to Howard for coming on and looking at this golden hour pick four. Well, that is going to wrap us up for this April 29th edition. Thanks so much for paying attention, for tuning in, for listening along. We couldn't do it without all of you, of course. Please stay right here for more Kentucky Derby-related content. Also on the In The Money Media Plus side, sign up for that In The Money Media newsletter as well, which is available on a weekly basis. You'll get one uh, hopefully you got one that talked to you about this podcast that we had here. Um, that's available, of course, on a regular basis in the Money Plus subscribers have a lot of content that they're going to be served up next week regarding the Kentucky Derby. I'll be involved in a little bit of it. And then, of course, there will be a lot of content from Jonathan Kinchin, Pete Fornital, and a variety of the characters that you see around these parts pretty often. Well, you'll have PTF back next week, but you had me today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, all of you, for tuning in. And until next time, best of luck.